All right, I'm going to start with a, uh, by telling you a, a dream I had. Uh, now, a few caveats before I tell you this dream. A, I'm not really looking for dream interpretation because I'm going to be completely misapplying this, this dream. I'm going to be using it as an analogy as opposed to its intended meaning. Now, if you really are trying to figure it out, you're, you're not paying attention. So just, just listen to it as an analogy, all right? Um, but, you know, if you, if you have the answer, then I guess maybe let me know. But, but, but don't worry about that right now. The, the dream that I had a few years ago. Um, so I had this dream, and I was walking through uh, shrubs, but not just shrubs, like, like nasty shrubs are about this high, and the, and the kind that just kind of are so scratchy, and I, I just felt just like being scratched, and, and, and just the, the tension as I'm walking through these shrubs. But not only was I walking through these scratchy sh shrubs, they were full of bitey spiders, Lots of black bitey spiders. I can just see them like, duh, 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 like there's every, and I'm going through these ropes and I'm just getting scraped and bit by these bitey spiders. So um, then, then in the dream, I came to this clearing and, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm in this clearing and I look down at my arms and they're scratched up and they've got all these bite marks on them. And, and I look ahead, I look ahead and I see there's a bit more. I've come through most of it, but there's a bit more. There's more shrubs, and I can just see the bitey spiders dotted along these shrubs. I just know that there's, there's a bit more to go. But a little bit on the other side of the shrubs is Disneyland. Yes, not just, not just Legoland. We're talking Disneyland, right? Disneyland. Heaven, Disneyland, it's way up there. So Disneyland, and it's right there, and I'm, I'm excited about this. But I'm in the clearing, and, I'm, and, I, and I know where I've been, and, and I can see Disneyland's coming up. I'm not quite there yet, still a little bit more to go. And, and I'm like, okay, here I am in the clearing. That's kind of where the dream is. And I was going to get ready to start going through the next, next bit of shrubs and, and bitey spiders to get to Disneyland. Now, I, I'm, I'm telling you that because in, in many ways, that feels like where we're at in the book of Revelation. We, we have been in a study of the book of Revelation for know, a few weeks now, and we are, we're coming up towards the very end. We might be finishing it next week, Lord willing, or, or the week after. You know, I'm just kind of rolling with it exactly how, how it plays out. We've got some time. And we're getting now to the point where um, Jesus is finally putting an end to evil. He, he is putting everything now, as of today, he's going to be, as of today in our study, um, today would be great though, uh, he, he's now putting everything under his feet. He is being victorious and putting an end to um, everything, the devil, death, everything. It, it, his victory now is, is what we're looking at today, where, where all, the, all that is wrong is made right. Now, we're, we're going through this book together, and, and maybe if you're new here or visiting, the book of Revelation gives us an insight of, of what's to come. And, and, it, and it tells us, yeah, days ahead might be a little bit dark. They might even be horrific at, at times. But it also gives us every good reason why not to freak out about it. Every good reason not to freak out about a harder days ahead or even just like uh, today. Maybe you're looking at your life today and you're like, man, today is difficult. Or like my dream, maybe you look back and you're like, wow, these last years have been horrible, like scratches and bitey spiders everywhere. And, and maybe you look ahead and you're like, mm, also not looking good. Looks like scratches and, and bitey spiders uh, uh, ahead. Well, today is about lifting up our eyes beyond and looking towards the goal, looking towards what's going to be happening and, and, and the, the end aim of what we're, of what we're 
of what we're pushing for, the salvation of our souls. Now, to be fair, we're kind of doing this in two parts because the book of Revelation ends with another set of sevens. Now, you've seen, you know, there, there's seven bowls and seven trumpets and seven thunders and seven uh, churches. And there, there's lots of sevens in, in the book of Revelation. There's in the, also John, the gospel of John, the same author, wrote lots of sevens in his gospel as well. So it, it shouldn't surprise us that here at the end, there are seven seven sections that all begin with the same words then I saw then I saw and we're gonna see seven of those in the end and we're gonna cover the first six today with the seventh then I saw being the new heavens and the new earth I'm not gonna give it away but it's great and we're gonna talk about it uh, that next week but where what we're gonna go to today is from from Jesus showing up bringing his justice all the way till all of his enemies are put under his feet. So that's where we're going today. Looking forward to it. Um, I hope that you find yourself encouraged, especially if the days ahead look challenging. I hope today you can pick your eyes up and be like, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Great days ahead. We, we press on following Jesus. Okay. So we're going to look at six of the seven then I saw today. The first one is in Revelation chapter 19. And it's, it's starting in verse 11 of, of chapter 19. Again, we're very near the end of Revelation. This is exciting. So here's, here's the first then I saw, 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the first then I saw. Then I saw Jesus. Then I saw Jesus show up. And again, Jesus is seen on this white horse, the, uh, the, the, the symbol of victory, uh, of victory, triumph. And, and he is uh, he's, uh, well, what's ascribed to him is four different names, four names. Now, we know in the Bible, names are a big deal. Names of God are a big deal. They accurately communicate aspects of, of God's nature and what he's like and his trustworthiness and things like that. Um, God changes people's names in the Bible, like from Abram to Abraham, because, because there's a message he wants to send. He changes to Solomon's name, although nobody seems to have tracked that it didn't stay being to Jedediah, which means love by God um, and that was just when he was when he was born and so uh, God often changes names to for, for meaning and, and for purpose but when Jesus is ascribed names th these are anchor description points there's four names ascribed to Jesus here the first one is okay it's gonna sound like two but it's actually one okay it's, gonna, it's not a cheat it's just one name faithful and true faithful and true Jesus is faithful and true. 
Uh, That means that Jesus is entirely reliable. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your anxieties. You can trust him with your discouragements. You can trust him with your disappointments. You can trust him with your pains. You can trust Jesus because he is faithful and true and he will do for you, be to you all that he is. All that the Bible says he will do, he will do. We can count on this idea, will Jesus really return? You can count on it. He's faithful and true. He really is as amazing as the Bible describes he is. And he really does love you as the Bible describes. He's faithful and true. Also mixed in this section is a lot of mm, what we've been calling Revelation 1 Jesus. Uh, in Revelation 1, there's this vision of Jesus with you know, fiery eyes and, 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 and crowns and all this stuff. We're going to see glimpses of Revelation 1 Jesus now being applied as he shows up here at the end. The same Jesus that we saw in, in, in this powerful vision in chapter 1 is now moving in power. So we see glimpses of this. But the first name, faithful and true. The second name, unknown name to us. It says it's a name that only he knows. And, and, and when we go to heaven, apparently we all get names that only we know. Like, like our own name. There's a, there's a bit of mystery there. And, I, and, I, and since we don't know what this name is, that's an also true thing about Jesus. For all that we know about him, all his goodness, all his perfection, all his glory, all his victory, there's more. And that's how it is with God. There, there, there's more. There's, there's still mystery there. But it's all good, and it's all amazing. So the second name is, it's an un, unknown name. The third name uh, of Jesus in this passage is the Word of God, or the Logos of God, or the Logos of God, depending on, on who taught you Greek. I mean, obviously, like, if you learned Logos, if you learned Logos, okay, that's fine. doesn't matter. Um, I'm just going to say them both so that everybody's uh, irritated. So the, the Logos of God, or the Logos of God, so the author, John, has already written about Jesus as the Word, the Logos, the, the Word of God. He, he started his first volume called John, uh, which is part one, John, Jesus, the first time he shows up, and then Jesus, this, when he's returning again, the book of Revelation. He starts his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, the Word of God, Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. And, it des- and he starts describing this, this, the Word of God, and he describes Him as all things are being created through Him. In fact, nothing was created uh, not through Him, and, and yet he was, he was rejected by His creation. But, but anyone who would receive Him, He would give the right to become children of God, born of God. And, and so you get this introduction in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. And then, but other authors write about it. So for instance, like in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, you read about the logos of God, the, the, the logos of God. Um, it, it talks about how the Word of God is living and active. And, and now if you, when I went to Bible college, I was thinking, okay, that's the Bible. The Bible's living and active and sharper. But you look at the verses before and you look at the verses after, it's clearly about Jesus. The Word of God is living and active and it goes on to say about the Logos of God that nothing is hidden from its sight. All things are exposed to the eyes of of those to whom we must give an account. There's been a lot of theology in the New Testament about Jesus as the Word of God, the, the Logos of God. 
So we, we see that, that, that the word of God shows up. We see that he's not alone. He shows up with the army of heaven on, on these white horses, which you would normally assume the army of heaven is angels. But here it seems to be like the church. It seems to be the church. Why? Because of what they're wearing. The saints have been clothed in white linen. And so it seems to be, be the church here showing up on white, uh, on white horses, like in victory. And that's one of the interesting things about Jesus. Jesus can do it all. He has all the victory, all the power. And yet so much of his victory and triumph, he, he shares with his church. Like, I will rule. Jesus will rule the nations. And yet we will reign with him. And he returns in victory. And then we will return in victory with him. Like his connection to his church is amazing. If you're part of Jesus' people, uh, the connection is, is, um, is stunning, worth, worth pondering. But anyway, so he returns with his church. Uh, and then we come to his fourth name in this section, which is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's, that's one name, no matter what we say. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what I want to say about this name, it is, it is not just a name or a title, but it is the reality. It's the reality. It's, it's one thing to say he's the boss. It's another thing when, okay, I'll, I'll just use Jesus as an example. Last week we looked at the fall of Babylon and said, why, does, why did Jesus, why was Jesus victorious? It said, well, because he's king of kings, lord of lords. That's why. Or I think it's the other way around. Because he's lord of lords and king of kings. The, the reality is, he, Jesus doesn't just have the title of king of kings, lord of lords. He is, and so he is able to triumph over everything because his authority isn't just in title, but in real. His power isn't just ascribed to him, but it actually is upon him. And so he is able to be victorious over all kings triumph over all the enemies because he actually is king of kings lord of lords not just in title but in reality so those are the four names ascribed to jesus here but i want to make one more note before we just start powering through the, this section i want to make a note on the justice and wrath of god we're, we're here in Revelation. It's, it's not super PC to talk about God's wrath. And, and especially when you're talking about God, um, what did it say? It said, trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And then it had Jesus' robe dipped in blood. Mm, that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like, like PC Jesus. No. It's not PC Jesus. It's the real Jesus. And, 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 but I want to talk about just the anger, justice, and wrath of God for a moment. Because um, for those of us who grew up in relatively sheltered um, culture, cultures, uh, the kind of cultures where you, you can have coffee or lattes that have like art on them, you know, like, like that, kind of, that kind of thing where um, you, 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 can, you can cry foul to the government or whatever but you really don't have a clue when it comes to a truly foul government like there are there have been some through the history of the world that have been vile but but you know for for those of us who grew up in these more sheltered environments this idea of jesus as this this 
just stomping out with power and mercy the anger of God on the earth people it it can be it can be disturbing I mean especially you know if if people are going to squirm about the oh if you're vegan or vegetarian close your ears for a second but this idea of killing the food you're going to eat you know like Oh, that, that just seems so disturbing and disgusting. Why would I kill this animal? We actually had animals growing up, like, like pigs and, and, and uh, chickens and things like that that we would kill and eat. And so a little bit, but, mo- but most people aren't really exposed to that. And the idea of killing this animal that they're about to eat, again, vegans are throwing up, I get it. But, but it's, it's, that's just a, a sign of how sheltered we tend to be. This is so not usual for the history of the world and even in the globe today. Most people are, are more aware of, of like how, how that piece of chicken got to your table, you know, a little bit more. But we're so sheltered. And so we can look at things like the justice wrath of God and be like, oh, that just sounds awful. What is he thinking? What, why would he do that? But for the vast majority of humanity, for those people who, who actually have lived in horrible days, for, for the people who have seen like just stared evil in the face. And, and they've, seen, they've seen people, uh, you know, storming into their villages and, and just maybe barbarically butchering their children in front of their faces or, 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 or their parents or, or, the, or their spouses and, and the government unable to do anything or maybe even the government is doing that kind of thing. People who have lived with vile injustice, they're called to respond the same way that you are. They're called to forgive everyone, everyone. They are called to love their enemies and do good to those who persecute them and we're sitting here thinking you know like oh that person said something so horrible to me and I just can't ever forgive them and how could God ever expect such a thing we have no idea we have no idea but we're called to this same thing of 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 forgiving and 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 loving our enemies and and so God says a lot of things words of hope strong words about how he is absolutely going to without mercy crush those who do evil crush those who who will not submit to to him and to 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 become part of his godly people he says in Romans chapter 12 Paul's writing and Paul writes he says friends do not avenge yourselves but instead leave room for God's wrath because it's it is written vengeance belongs to me I will repay says the Lord I'm gonna say that again vengeance belongs to me I will repay says the Lord but and then this is the love your enemies bit but if your enemy is hungry feed him that's not just to the punk neighbor that's in all horrific situations if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink for in doing so you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head people who really know evil people who have lived and been treated unfairly they understand the hope and joy connected to the brutal anger of God being poured out the hope and joy uh, of, of God being unflinching in his justice it's knowing that God will avenge in the fullest possible way that allows us to forgive our enemies to to love our enemies even 
We can do that now, trusting that God will do what he says he's going to do. That he will repay. That he will repay. Evil demands the justice of God. Evil demands the justice of God, the wrath of God. And Jesus says to you, Jesus says, leave it to me. I will repay. You forgive. You love your enemies. I will repay. Leave it to me. Leave it to me. If you're having a horrible go in life, if you're having a horrible go, like Jesus sees. Jesus sees you keep going. You keep loving people. Maybe some of you, you're, you're, you're feeling out of love. You, you feel like you've been, you know, trampled on one too many times. You feel like you've just been cut one too many times, one too many wounds. Okay. Jesus sees. Just keep going. Keep loving. Keep being godly. The God who sees you will repay. There is justice coming. You can trust him. You can trust him. We need to keep going. There is, there's a few more than I saw. So let's, let's pick up the pace. Uh, so that was the first then I saw. The second then I saw is, is quick. It, and it says this in verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he called out in a loud voice saying to all the birds flying high overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God. So that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of military commanders, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of horses and of their riders, and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. Rather disturbing. Uh, but that great call for the birds of the air to come and gather to eat people uh, and horses. Um, now this, this is a flag. This is, this is something that is supposed to be drawing our attention back to the battle of Gog and Magog. If you want to do homework, which I know you all want to do, you can go back and look at chapters 38 and 39 of Ezekiel, and while you're at it, enjoy chapter 40. It's, it's very much in line with what we're reading right now. The, the, the battle of Gog and Magog at, at the end of the age, that's kind of more of an extended version of what we're seeing here in this passage. But in that passage, it, it, there's a promise where God says in Ezekiel 39.4, he says, I will give you as food to every kind of predatory bird in, the, in that battle, battle of Gog and Magog. Now, now, at the end of the age, God's being like, it's time. Birds, gather. Animals, gather. It's the feast that I've always promised you. So you're supposed to be flagged up. Okay, we're looking kind of at this battle of Gog and Magog from Ezekiel 38, 39. Then I saw, the third then I saw, 19. Then I saw the beast the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with, the, along with it, the false prophet, who had performed the signs in, in its presence, he deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image with these signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur." The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds ate their fill of their flesh. Okay. We're seeing the final judgment of, of, of Jesus. King of kings, Lord of lords, 
just being victorious. In, in fact, his judgment and, and his justice is going kind of in reverse order of all the baddies as we were introduced to them. So first we were introduced to the dragon, and then we were introduced to the, the beast, um, which was like the, the fake Jesus, the anti-Jesus, the anti-Christ. And then we're introduced to another beast in chapter 13 as well, um, also called the false prophet, the false prophet. And then we were introduced to Babylon. Last time we saw Babylon thrown down, and now we're seeing the beast and the false prophet being thro thrown down. And then we're going to see uh, Satan thrown down uh, next. But before we read it, I want to just let you know, this is the trickiest part of the book. This, this right here is the most debated part of the book. If you remember several weeks ago, which I know you remember everything I say, uh, we did four views of the end times. And we had all these different views, like, well, well four. We had four views. Uh, we had like historical, historical millennialism and then like uh, post-millennialism and amillennialism and dispensational premillennialism. I, I don't know. It's irritating that I can even get close to the names, but something like that. But the, the, the common denominator in all those different end times view was millennialism. The, the, what is the deal with the millennium? The, the thousand year reign and or the thousand years of, of, of binding Satan and, and their connection. And there's all these end times views hinge, hinge around interpretation of these verses that we're in right now. Uh, some, of the, some of these views want to look at these passages and saying, okay, it's already done. This, all this stuff is in the past. Some of them want to say uh, it's all spiritual. It's all spiritual. It's kind of just been happening and, and it's, it's spiritual. Some of them want to say, okay, no, this is a, what we're reading here is a, a, a progressive set of events. First, the beast and the, and the false prophet are thrown in the lake of fire, and then there's a thousand years where Satan is bound, and then Satan's released, and then he's thrown into the lake of fire himself. Oops, I gave it away. That's where we're going. Um, progressive. Others want to say, okay, I, it's like different camera angles of the same event, like Ezekiel 38 and 39 sound like, where we're seeing, okay, this is happening kind of at the same time, and, and here's a look at this person, here's a look at this person, here's a look at this person. The thing is, I'm not going to say what the right answer is, like, because I would be arrogant to even propose. Yeah, okay, after all these, these views, here's, here's the right answer. But what I, want, what I want to keep reminding us is the big picture, the process here, is that Jesus is victorious over it all. Jesus is, is, is throwing down every one of his enemies just as he's promised, and the last one's going to be death. Just as he's always said. He's throwing, he's throwing them all down. And I think if you're the early church and you're reading through how this is going to end, and you, maybe you see some confusion or, or, or not or whatever, there's two messages that are, that are going on at this part of the Bible, and really in a lot of the Bible that are compatible, but they kind of sit uncomfortably with each other. One of, one of the messages, you know, you think about the early church and their suffering and, and their, their pain. One of, their, one of the things that they, they're hearing is that God does not needlessly delay, but hastens to the rescue of the believers. That's one of the great messages of the Bible. Jesus doesn't needlessly delay. He's coming soon. He, he's, he's hastening to the rescue. But another message that is also kind of 
coming through in the confusion here is we can't assume immediate rescue, but we must endure as we wait patiently. To John's readers, you know, they're, they're, they're in pain and the end is maybe not as near as they would hope it would be. In fact, if you're ever in pain in, in your life and you want God's rescue, you want God's rescue now. You want God's rescue now. You, you want, it's in that dream, you're in the clearing and you see spider shrubs ahead of you and spider shrubs behind you. You want a helicopter to lift you out of it and Hey, Disneyland, right? Like, that's what, you, that's what you want. You don't want to walk through any more shrubs. You, everyone in pain wants rescue now. But it's not always as soon as we would hope it would come. But the message of the Bible is rescue is coming. Wait for it as long as it takes. So here the, the beast and the false prophet are thrown down. Maybe there's another thousand years of waiting until th Satan's thrown down. Maybe, maybe not. Let's look at the next, then I saw. Then I saw an angel come, coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, closed it, and put a seal on it so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time. Okay, so that's the fourth then I saw, Satan being bound for a thousand years. The fifth then I saw, then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or, or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They came up across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the encampment of the saints, the beloved city. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So in this section, there, uh, several things happened. There was a resurrection for those who'd been beheaded. And they're going to come to life with Christ to reign with him. Some would say on earth. Some would say in heaven. Uh, they're going to come to life and reign with him. Uh, God's people who have suffered, the ones we saw earlier in this book who were under the altar crying out for justice and revenge, they're going to get their justice. They're going to get their reward. And they're going to reign with Christ. Someday, you're waiting for justice. Someday, you're, you're waiting for the rescue of God. will be over. It'll be over. And your reward will come. And for those of you who have chosen to give your life to Jesus, to trust Jesus with your life, 
to trust Jesus with your future, to trust Jesus that he will avenge you, and instead you are forgiving people, and you are loving your neighbor, you are loving your enemy, trusting Jesus with the rest. Those who have, have chosen to trust Jesus, uh, they will receive their reward. Also here, we, you know, the, the battle here of Gog and Magog, the final loss of the nations to those who won't submit to Jesus as king and the final end of the devil, who is not the king of hell. The devil is not the king of hell. He is tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, again, you can look at Ezekiel 38 and 39 for, for the expanded edition of this, of this is going on. Whatever the timeline, though, the end is coming. The end is coming, and Judgment Day will finally take place, and that is what John sees next in the, the Then I Saw. This is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Now, I have lots of favorite parts of the Bible, but, but this is one of my favorite, favorite bits here. It says this, after, after they're tormented day and night forever, then I saw, verse 11 of chapter 20, then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books, plural, the books were opened. And a, another book was opened, singular, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, this is the sixth then I saw. The next then I saw is the new heavens and the new earth where Jesus is going to bring his people. And we're, we come to that moment, the moment at, of time where you get to spend eternity with your king. Whatever one it was. You either get to spend eternity with your King Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth, or you get to spend eternity with your King who is going to be tormented in the, in the lake of fire day and night forever and ever. You get to choose. Right now is your time where you choose which is going to be your king. And, and like it was pointed out to me this morning at the morning service, some people are like, okay, I'm not going to choose Jesus, and I'm not going to choose the devil. I'm just going to sit here in the middle. No, the middle is with the devil. Like, that's, that's his domain. All the middle is the devil. You, you, you have to, you choose Jesus, or you're with the devil in, in that sense. And you can see here in this moment, this glorious moment where God, the God who created, the God of the universe, the Almighty, takes his seat to, 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 bring, to pronounce the final verdict of your life. And there's no one who, who is not going to have to stand before God. No one is going to get out of this day. Christians are not going to get out of this day. Um, unbelievers aren't going to get out of this day. Everyone must appear before the judgment seat of God. 
must give account for their lives. And, and here it says in Revelation that the day is coming where the books are opened. And what's in the books? All the records of the deeds of your life. The deeds, the motives, everything what, that you've done, whether it's good or, good or evil. And, and God knows the good things that you've done. They've been recorded. He knows the evil things that you've done and, and, and every secret good thing that you've done and every secret um, sin, it, it's exposed. And I tell you what, there's not one person who's going to stand before God on that day feeling really great about, about, it, about it all. About like, oh, I deserve heaven. When you have an honest assessment of, what, of the deeds of your life, you're going to be like, oh, no, I deserve to be thrown in the lake of fire. I, I deserve every motive of our heart exposed. If your hope for heaven is based on your deeds... You have no hope. You have no hope. I mean, you can fool your friends. You can fool your spouse. You can fool whoever, whatever. But you cannot fool the one who knows you better than you know you. You can't fool the one who actually knows your motives, who, who's taken account of, of your life. And when those books are open, you're going to see how, how undeserving of grace you are. But the thing is, there is another book. There, there's a book, the, a book of life. And in that book, catch this. There are no deeds, only names. And that's the gospel. No deeds, only names. Because if, you're, if your name is, is in the book of life, your deeds don't matter. Even the good ones, which can be hard for good people to fathom. Now, I mean, there, there, there's a place. We want to follow God. We want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. But on that day, only one thing matters. Is your name in the book of life? Doesn't matter the deeds. Is your name written in it? And how do you know if your name is in that book? How can you be supremely confident that your name is in that book? Well, the Bible is clear. If you confess your sins to Jesus, if you confess your sins, Jesus is faithful and just. He will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Bible is clear. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who says, Jesus, you are going to be my king. I'm getting out of the middle. I'm getting into your camp. Uh, you will be, I submit my life to you. I surrender my allegiance to you as my king and my Lord. Uh, that's that giving of your life to Jesus uh, as your Lord and master. Uh, Jesus says in, in Matthew, no, Mark, yes, Mark 16, 16. He says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. You give your life to Jesus, and you will be saved. Now, I know that there's some of you who, uh, maybe like me when I was younger, I gave my life to Jesus like 50 times, maybe, maybe 150 times. And, and that's been, been your story. And, and, and you, you've, you've prayed, you've given your life to Jesus, and then you find yourself like messing up. And, and looking at the deeds of your life, thinking, oh, no, I, I, I must be out of the book of life now, or something like that. It's not how it works. If, you, if you've struggled with that certainty of your salvation, the truth is you give your life to Jesus, and you keep getting up. You keep giving up. You, 
you keep getting, getting going. You keep following Jesus for better or for worse. Maybe you stumble, you get back up. You stumble, you get back up. You keep running after Jesus with all your heart. You're, you're good to go. You'll be safe. But some of you are like, oh, I, I just can't. I just don't know if I'm certain. Well, I'm going to give you three words from the book of Hebrews that I want you to hold on to on your day of doubt. Because remember, um, giving your life to Jesus is about believing in Jesus. Here are the three words. Faith is believing. Do I have faith in Jesus? Do I, do I have faith in Jesus? Faith is believing. I believe that I am forgiven of everything. I have given my life to Jesus. I am going to hold on to what God says, that I will be forgiven and that I will be saved, that, that my name is written in the, in the Lamb's book of life. I am going to believe and not doubt. The enemy wants you to doubt. Oh, maybe, maybe you didn't do it right. Maybe you didn't do it right. You, you, can, you, you give your life to Jesus and then you hold on. You know, what I want for you all today is to be certain that your name's in the book of life. That's what I want. And so I will give you one more chance. I'm just, I'm gonna give you a chance every week, but I'm just gonna say it this way. I'm gonna give you one more chance. If you're struggling with believing, we'll rededicate our lives today and then hold on to it. Believe, believe, okay? Faith is believing. The challenges today are, are, are pretty simple. Be certain. Be certain and, and celebrate that your name is in the book of life. Resubmit your life to Jesus. Submit your life to Jesus. And then be bold. Th this, this moment is coming for everyone, and we want to be confident, and we want to be test telling people that there really is judgment day. It, it really is coming, and there's an amazing grace and love that God has for people. But you got to decide because the middle isn't with Jesus. you got to decide. If you believe and you've not been baptized, dude, get baptized. Get baptized. Uh, let's do this quickly. I'm going on sabbatical soon. So you have until December 1st. Let's, 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 uh, let's fill the tank and, and let's use it. We're actually going to be uh, baptizing someone on the 24th of the month. Um, it, it, yeah, in the, in the early church, they weren't waiting until they were mature in their faith. They would believe and they would get baptized very often on the same day. It was kind of your first obedience step. It was actually just saying, I'm with Jesus now. That's kind of what baptism was, identifying in his death, burial, and resurrection. So if that's you and you're a believer, let's, let's do that. Let's do that right away.